You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to this month's feature series, Focus on Medical Education. You're listening to ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jorge Girardi. Dr. Girardi is Associate Dean for Special Curriculum Programs at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Girardi, for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. Today, we are going to discuss a particular program. It's called the Hispanic Center of Excellence. Dr. Girardi, could you tell me a little bit about this? Sure. The center got its beginnings through a federal program that was initiated in the late 1980s. The initial purpose of that legislation was to assist a few of the historically black health professions colleges that were going through some very tough financial times then. When the bill came back for reconsideration by Congress in 1990, Congress decided that the same principle could be applied to assist other ethnic or racial groups in the United States. And at that point, Hispanic centers and American Indian centers of excellence were created. We were funded in the very first group in 1991. We had a fairly long history of consecutive funding cycles through the Federal Health and Human Services Department until Congress, unfortunately, cut the funding for the programs in uh, 2006. As federal programs go, we had done quite well growing in a period of 15 years with the federal funds. And since you bring that up, the Office of Management and Budget that assists the president with budgets felt that this particular program was, quote, ineffective. This was under Title VII. What did they base this on? That is an excellent question because the GAO report had been issued maybe in 2003, and it was very, very critical of many of the health and human services training programs, particularly, as you mentioned, the Title VII health professions programs. The report put the blame squarely on the federal agency, the Health Resources and Services Administration, for failing to give grantees the type of measurements, I guess, or evaluation tools to see if the programs they were funding were doing the job. When the agency finally got the message that that was going to be a critical component of ongoing funding, for those of us in the field, it became clear that it was just too little and too late. We had an all-grantee meeting with HRSA officials in the summer of 2005 where they attended to unveil a new evaluation process for our programs. Our criticism of the process then and, and even now is that it relied entirely on quantitative data. So part of the evaluation of programs like Centers of Excellence, programs like the Health Careers Opportunity Program, another program that was erased off the budget, was that all they were interested was the numerical outcomes, particularly the increase in the applicant pool to medicine, to dentistry, pharmacy, other health professions. And those of us that had worked in the trenches, if you will, over the years, working with students that come generally from financially or educationally or both backgrounds, saying that there had to be more taken into account to gauge success. But the GAO report concentrated on the very little data that HRSA had collected from all of us that showed that the numbers were meager to begin with. From a historical perspective, going back even farther into the 1970s, 
there have been a number of other events, educational issues, legal issues, economics issues that affected the interest of students and the performance of students in terms of careers in medicine and other related health professions. Even though it was a good idea on the part of GAO to, to evaluate success, the evaluation process was just narrowly focused. How would you increase it? What kind of data would you have suggested that might have been a better measurement? Part of what never took place, and, and that is squarely the fault of the federal agency, is that nobody bothered to take a baseline reading. Maybe in 1980 or 1990, what did the picture look like, not just in terms of the numbers for medical school or dental schools, which are easily obtainable, but other issues in terms of college enrollment. Many of these graduate professional programs rely on college enrollment. We admit students during college or after college, so that generally is a good predictor, a good barometer of what will happen with the pool down the line. But no one had the foresight to ask for that or, or even collect it from national databases. That might have been helpful in explaining the environment and the numbers, and then compare you know, five years later, ten years later, whether any difference had been made. The other thing is that in the federal progress reports that we were given, HRSA typically concentrated on numeric values and had no room for us to try to incorporate qualitative issues. When, when you work with students that maybe first-generation college attendees or considering professional graduate programs for the first time in, in the history of their family, to go from A to B, there's a number of detours. <laughs> and we had no place to address the other issues that come in, in the end, getting a numeric outcome. So we, we would have added more qualitative issues. The other things that all of us agree is that part of our jobs in our individual institutions is to change the institutional culture as well. When medical school admissions committees consider candidates, the easy thing to do is to look at their academic data, their grade point averages, their MCAT scores, and not to look at other factors that may tell us more about their potential for medicine and medical practice. So that is not a, a process that gets done, transform the culture in two, three, or four years. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and with me today is Dr. Jorge Girardi, the director of Hispanic Center of Excellence, a program that exists throughout the United States and is being hit hard by reductions in budget constraints imposed by the government. I know at one time there were 34 such centers, and that was in 2005. And in 2006, of the 34, only four received grants. These were Howard, Tuskegee, Xavier of Louisiana, and Morehouse. This isn't to say that these four schools that certainly represent a minority part of our population are not important, but this was done at a time that the largest minority in the United States is widening its lead, that is the Hispanic population. And it's also a time where health disparities are worsening for Hispanics. How would you respond to this? All of us that have worked with Congress over the years have never disagreed that the four institutions you just named that were the first four that were included in the late 1980s when Congress decided to extend financial support that those institutions are, in fact, national resources. Were it not for those medical schools, dental schools, and pharmacy schools, the number of, of African-American physicians and dentists and so on 
would be even lower than what they are now. So that part is unquestionable. But to base the fate of federal funding programs on one accountability report seemed short-sighted, particularly, as you mentioned, when it basically cuts off the lifeline for schools that work with Latino or, or American Indian applicants or potential applicants. Those disparities are as bad as they are for African-American residents across the country. The survival, and it was clear from the numbers you just mentioned, at the federal level, only those four initial schools continue to receive funding from Congress. But of the other 30 centers of excellence that were not necessarily located in historically black colleges, very few have survived because either their institution didn't have the ability to support him or the state didn't have the ability to support him. In Illinois, we were very fortunate that when it was clear that Congress would actually eliminate funding for centers of excellence, with the support of a few local physicians, we convinced our state legislators in Springfield that the center was a resource to this campus and to the state in terms of dealing with a very substantial increase in the Latino population across the state of Illinois and the fact that their health status as a community was, in fact, at a much lower level than the rest of the population. And with the growth, it, it was meant or probably expected to increase in terms of gaps. Let's return to where it all begins. What can be done and what is your center doing to help students get to college so that they will have the opportunity of going to professional schools and open their vistas? We had to come to terms. Even when we were still receiving the federal grant, we had to come to terms as a center with our limitations uh, in terms of the staff, in terms of our funds, of how much we could do as one center, considering that the population of uh, school-age students in Illinois is, is substantial. Just in the Chicago public school system, where I think this year there's 415,000 pupils across the system, and fully 40% of those students are of Latino origin, that is a significant population to work with. At one point, we, we had actually connected, made a partnership with one of the local high schools here in the Pilsen neighborhood, just south of our campus, that is 99% Mexican-American student body. We found in the course of that partnership, though, that a relatively small percentage of their freshmen at the high school read at the ninth grade level. Therefore, our ability to make substantial changes in the goals, uh, the achievements of those students, given our, our limited resources, was just not realistic. How do you get somebody who's interested in being a doctor but whose reading skill is at the sixth or the fifth grade level to be able to do well in biology, in chemistry, physics, or math in high school seemed like an insurmountable issue. So what we've done since is create a more focused program, which may be thought by some as, as more elitist, but we, we concentrated on students whose academic record was solid throughout their high school career and whose test scores, standardized test scores, suggested that they were in a position to succeed in college. We're working with those students. The assumption has always been that the good students will find their way, no matter what. We're finding that's not quite the case. We're finding that students that, on paper, seem like excellent candidates to progress and graduate from college stumble along the way because finances get in the way, because the family doesn't quite understand what the student is trying to do, because 
the college situation is very different from the high school situation that we're used to. There's a number of obstacles that get in the way. So we're working now with a smaller number. We're working with them more longitudinally over three years. Well, we cannot necessarily help them on their academic side. We can counsel them on how to handle the academic load. I want to thank Dr. Gerardi, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing Hispanic Center of Excellence, a place where Hispanic students can have a vision of someday becoming a doctor in their country. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. We thank you for listening to this month's feature series, Focus on Medical Education, exclusively on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.